0: Welcome to Media Path, I am Louise Palenker and I'm Fritz Coleman. Today's show is a celebration of television from streaming media where our choices are abundant and our attention stretched back into a time when we all watch pretty much the same thing. For example, in 1975 on Saturday nights, you could watch the Mary Tyler Moore show or SWAT. Not a wrenching decision. But the thing about her upcoming guest, Joyce Boulifant, is that not only was she on The Mary Tyler Moore Show, she was also probably on SWAT or the streets of San Francisco, or the Saturday Night Movie, or whatever they tried to throw up against Mary. Joyce has logged over 100 guest TV appearances. Her book, My Four Hollywood Husbands, is an absolute gift. I adore it. Joyce is coming up, but first on the show, we are welcoming Leanne Bonin. Leanne is a published author, an award-winning screenwriter, and a journalist. Her byline has appeared in Entertainment Weekly, People, the LA Times, and her latest effort is just what we need right now to guide us through this age of many TV choices. It's a coffee table book called Stream This Next, 1,000 TV Shows to Suit Your Mood. Welcome, Leanne, and tell us about your book. Hi, Leanne.
1: Hi, how you doing? Awesome. Great, thank you. Um, So the book, it's a thousand, and it's not just me, I edited the book, but, and we Mm -hmm. had a a little team of freelancers who all contributed some of the the things that they thought were really great shows. Um, But I curated the list of a thousand TV shows and it's, you, you pick by mood, you know, you want to be cozy or you want to be laugh and cry or whatever. So, um, and if that doesn't work, there's an index at the back. You can just look stuff up. So. So is
0: there a mood for hostile? Um, I think we have a section for horror. Oh no, I just, when you're angry and you just need something soothing. That's it's, cozy. That's where that's Mary cozy. lives. All right, so you should be aspirational with your mood, even if yeah, you're Yeah, like whatever you way. would like to be. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, so what was the process? Because it sounds like a daunting, like I, first I wanna hear about the conversation that led to the creation of this book. And then what was the process? Um, well, I was just brought on to edit the project, but
1: the process of coming up with a thousand TV shows—I was like, "Yeah, that's easy." I was a TV critic; that's no big deal. Um, it actually was—it <laughs> was somewhat daunting after a certain point. And also, uh, Rosalie Books, who's one of the publishers, wanted to have a real international aspect to it. So there were there were a lot of shows. We have shows that are German or Danish and. And, um, you know, Colombian and Mexican and South Korean, of course South Korea is, there's a huge font of material there. But um, so that was hard actually coming up with the list. And then we just kind of chipped away at it.
2: But there's so much streaming content now. It's about time somebody came up with a catalog like this because it's daunting when you open all the streaming apps and say, "What do I choose?" Especially if you don't know anything about any individual presentation.
1: Yeah, and and that was part of it too. Is we wanted to when when it made sense. Like we tried to pick shows that we knew that we liked, but also um, we we went turned to critics, <laughs> and you'll find a lot of critical quotes in there about what they liked about it, what was made it stand out and so um that i think what made it makes it an easier tone to kind of get through is that you know that it's not just a a bunch of goons like me who well, i like the tv show it's we did try to turn to the critics and get their input
0: right and i don't know about you guys but i like i like to read and do a little bit of research before i decide whether or not it's a fit you know, for me to even try a few minutes of an episode of something. So I don't like it on Netflix when you click when you scroll past something and it starts to play noise, people start talking and I that's very distracting for me. I'm very ADD. I just want to read what this is about. So this is like, you know, no one's going to stop start talking to you. You can pick up the book and read at your own pace and decide whether to go in search of something.
1: And yeah, if, if you and your date—I think this is a, probably a book for people for couples. You no, know, <laughs> you know essentially what you want to watch. You we want to watch something fun. We want to watch something that'll make us laugh. I want and or you know if you're by yourself, you know I want I want to watch something that makes me a little weepy. Um, you can flip through and you'll be like, well, this, yeah, that, and you can, or, or you, you can want find edit many choices.
2: S- yeah. Or do you want to edit selections for your children and protect oh. them from something that's not going to be appropriate?
1: There you go. And that was actually, we do have, uh, I think, um, if I want to be a child again, and that's, that was actually a really fun section. And because um, I had two kids, I, a lot of what um, we have in our house has to be family friendly. So Got and, and you would be surprised how much does not qualify. It's
0: really it's really stunning. I don't have a child, but I have a nephew. And when he was growing up, I'd go over like, hey, I have Goonies. And then you'd start watching it. And there's kids. These kids are cursing at each other. Like (laughs) it it feels like it should have been child friendly. But you didn't I didn't pre-screen it before I handed it to my sister. So it's it's hard to remember what exactly is going to upset a child when it's been so long since we were children.
1: Yeah, and I even noticed, you know, my daughters—they don't like things that are really violent, so they'll cover their eyes. And it's—I won't think about it as being, you know, something that'll throw you off, but you do have to keep that in mind. But there's actually a fair amount, more so than when I was young. There's a fair amount of content that isn't bad, that is family-friendly, that isn't terrible. There's actually—I would say there's one show that um, that I would recommend any day of the week to anyone, whether or not you have children, because I love it. What is it? Bluey, and Let's it's an Australian animated show about yes. a bunch of dogs.
2: Yes, <laughs> my grandson, I have a six year old grandson that loves that show, and he's watched the episode so many times he hasn't memorized.
1: There are more episodes, I think there's two seasons that are in the US, so he, he can keep watching. There's it. there's so many, and I feel like the, the parents are really fleshed out, it's funny. And the animation- But it's
2: gentle and they treat one another with respect and nobody yells. It's really a beautiful piece of work.
0: Yeah. Good. All right, so let's start making some recommendations. There's a lot of uh, shows that were on the air before streaming media. That if you like, like, like Hill Street Blues, for example, like if you, if a friend would say to you in year four, oh, you're not watching that, you, you'd just be intimidated because, am I going to know what what's going on or what had happened, and you know, and now you can start from the beginning with anything. So my two favorites from that time period that if you never saw, but you hear them come up in conversation often, that people should watch are West Wing and Gilmore Girls. So how about you? I would watch either of those um i don't think
1: gilmore girls has aged as well as i would have hoped but um i still love west wing i love anything sort of aaron sorkin ish which i would also tell them to go back if you want some uh, shorter chunk uh there are only two seasons of sports night and that was the, the introduction to to aaron sorkin most of us got
0: oh that's a good pick yeah. And you know,
2: streaming television has rippled out to affect all other television, particularly broadcast. I was in the broadcast television business for forty years, and I know the uh, origin point of the change, and that was House of Cards, which is one of my favorite streaming shows. And and it was can't the business really watch model. anymore. <laughs> no, no, you can't. No, no, that well, that that That's ruined it. But it's still brilliant, and it's brilliantly written, and you know, wonderful. But, but the thing about it is, the business model changed everything because these companies would buy, go to Netflix, and and, and the production company would get paid for a 10-episode delivery. Yeah. They would deliver them the 10 episodes, they would get their money, and then their obligation was done. They didn't have to sit around and wait to see what the weekly ratings are. And if it only played well for two ratings and then dipped, it would be canceled for the rest of the season. They made their money up front. So it was a, it was a great way for production companies to, to uh, cash in, but it's killing primetime television on network because the quality is better. There's no more appointment TV. It's just watch when you want as often as you want or as slowly as you want.
0: But there's more creative freedom. Mm-hmm. So for producers, that was a very attractive.
1: Yeah. There, and I can understand that for a lot of people who are hoping for residuals, if they're on a TV show for six years, that is impossible anymore. Right. So I know the guilds are are sort of up in arms about it. So it, it's I I like Netflix. I I like other streamers more, but I think a lot of the things that they've done are problematic.
3: Interesting.
0: Mm. Yeah. What is the best show that people are missing? Oregon Tell us about that. <laughs> um, it's a Dana
1: show. It's okay. been, it's, it was on PBS for a minute and now Netflix has it. And I love it unconditionally. And I actually have a recommendation on how to watch it. Um, do not just read the subtitles. Do not go with the dubbing, which is terrible, yeah. um, mm. but it's, It's about a female politician. I won't say anything more, but it's smart. It's, it it will grab you and it will not let you go. It's a great series. So that is speaking of Northern
2: European product. How about young Wallander? Do you like that one?
1: Oh, I haven't watched young Wallander.
2: It's really good. It's like Bosch, but with young hunkier guys Right. and it's, it's, but it's great. It's a slow procedural. It's not, it doesn't have the short American attention span edited into it. it. It, it just allows things to evolve at their own pace and it's really good. Well shot. I like it.
1: Yeah. I mean there's some really good stuff. And you know, to go back to Netflix, one of the the assets of Netflix is they have got a lot of content from all over the world. Netflix is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And if you search around for stuff, you can find it. You know, obviously Squid Game came up and was huge but they have more content than that as far as south korean content and um i think they had sweet home for a minute they had some stuff that was really like weird and
0: totally unexpected and worth watching so yeah and maybe it's does netflix have a have a um time frame within which you have to watch things before they're taken down like are are things purchased for a three-year period of time or so you have to find things and then where do they go when they leave netflix or are it's they just, just gone streamer
1: <laughs> nothing goes away right. um, that is what i've found it'll go on to um if it doesn't go it doesn't usually go to apple it'll go to maybe it'll go to amazon maybe it'll go to um i think there's a couple other that are free or low priced. i mean like you can find everything nothing ever goes away anymore
2: some and of them. you know what they do that really makes me mad? They misrepresent the freshness of the product. You go into Netflix and it says new releases, and they have something that's been up there for nine years And the new release category. That drives me nuts.
0: Yeah, maybe it may, is it new to Netflix?
2: No, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> Whoa, yeah.
0: that's like like breaking news. Really, this is not breaking news. Yeah. So I, I what um, if people are on a limited budget, mm. what streaming services? should they have disney plus
1: um it, and it also depends on who you are like if okay. you have a family disney plus and done honestly um and i on, as far as new content for adults i actually have been watching a lot of which i was surprised by a lot of apple apple plus um, mm-hmm. i really like i don't know if you've been watching severance but it has a wonderful surprise like I think in episode four or five, um, as far as casting, and I, I was hooked on that one, and it's it's pretty short from what I can tell. I don't know if there's a second season. Um, as far as other networks, other streamers to definitely get. Um, god i don't know like how about
2: hulu isn't it less expensive because of the commercials
1: that's true you can you do have a i think there are a couple places that have like a commercial option for cheaper stuff and i think for peacock it's so inexpensive it's like it's a no-brainer to just get peacock you just throw it into your mix Mm -hmm. um but as far and i'm i'm I would say Netflix because they have so much content, but they have a lot fewer uh, movies than they used to. Mm. So It really depends what you're interested in and what you want to see. Um, But Hulu, I mean, that's great for pretty much everything and they do have live television as an option, so.
2: They have great series, like Dope Sick and The Dropout. They do great, like, based on reality series that I really enjoy, that draw me immediately over to Hulu.
0: Yeah. I I'm don't I'm not mad at Hulu.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, and I like that on Hulu. I I, and I can't keep track of where to find things, but I like that on Hulu you can find Survivor and American Idol. Uh, yeah. yeah,
1: I'm surprised. Is, that- Is it like I actually have a hard time going back to reality shows? Even like you know the Great uh, British Bake Off, with some of those I'm like, oh, I know who wins. I don't want to watch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, for me, I I like it if if it's a contest. I like seeing the gameplay on Survivor and Big Brother. So I'm kind of like we're all different, right? We all have we all you know, are drawn to different types of content. And on American Idol, it's you know it's all about Lionel, right? From I mean it, and I just like watching people who happen to be very good at something like singing get a chance to show us what they can do so yes i guess i and i mean for me i like
1: full uh, i don't know if you ever watch Fools with penn and teller um because i i'm a member of the magic castle so oh. seeing a certain number of the people who rotate through i'm like oh i've seen you and i know you and
0: <laughs> you know
2: i know your tricks
0: oh that's how that's great yeah i like people who are good at what they do and you know and these people on american idol they can't bake no, nope. you know, they're, they're not trying to bake a boy. <laughs> well, they, they can sing. They, they can. can sing. Maybe they can bake and sing, you know. That all means- right.
2: I'm going to give you my list of the best streaming shows of go. all time. And in your next uh, additional publication of this book, you can include it at no charge. All right. Bring
0: it.
1: But
2: now, if I could get your imprimatur on this and get you to sign off or at least react not negatively to my list, it'll really make me feel better. All as right, a so before being.
0: he reads his list. What you're gonna say at the end of the list is, my goodness, Fritz, what excellent taste. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay, my goodness, Fritz, what excellent taste.
1: Don't don't
2: put words in her mouth, let it come from a real place. (laughs) I think The Crown is the best show ever on television, streaming or otherwise, I really do. Every episode is a movie, so The Crown is my number one pick.
1: I do like The Crown.
2: Queen's Gambit, Bosch on Amazon Prime, Pretend It's a City, the friend Leibowitz interviewed by Martin Scorsese, Yellowstone on Paramount, House of Cards, dope sick on hulu inventing anna the dropout super pumped those are my best streamers of all time
0: why fritz you have excellent taste yeah
1: See, that's what I'm <laughs> that's, saying.
2: thank that's you for it. that so, quasi all right so let's yeah.
0: talk about the recent one he just mentioned super pumped is that yes or no um yes let's go with yes
2: because do you, is it about an obnoxious person? It is about the most intensely obnoxious human on the planet, but beautifully played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt.
0: And I love him, but is it tolerable? Are there other people no. in there that you can uh, no, root for? No,
2: I just want to wring his neck through every episode. <laughs> and But you, you hang for the thing because you want to see him get his comeuppance. Because I guess he gets blown out as a CEO, right? And they bring somebody else in, I don't know. But you, you're waiting for that to happen.
0: So you're rooting for him to hang, just like, you know, yes. we wanted Trump marched yes.
2: out of the White House. Yes, in handcuffs. Okay, yes. got
1: it.
0: Oh, so, you should watch We Crashed as well.
1: Okay, talk about that. really want to hang. Which one? We Crashed, which is the story of We Work's failure and Jared Leto is the Oh, right. Yeah. Right.
2: Oh my you gosh. Like I'll take What is that? Is that on Netflix?
0: Um, I I think it's on Apple? Oh, okay. So, is this the latest thing Leanne watching these <laughs> tech geniuses?
2: Yeah, that's
0: a to their Okay. Yeah. So what's coming next? Um, I think we have.
1: It's already on. Is the um, the story of Elizabeth Holmes, and right. I think oh, there's several man. permutations of that.
2: The the dropout is great with Amanda Seyfried. She her yeah. she even looks like almost identical to this woman.
1: And I think she did the deep voice too.
2: Yeah.
0: Ooh. Yeah, the voice. That
1: creepy. She's was like kind she's of like
2: really really good.
0: Almost like she's possessed. And I Maybe. think you could even, you could throw Dope
1: Sick into that because it does you know, oh. focus on the Sackler family. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Which you already mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> I really yeah. like that too. I liked it for Michael Keaton.
2: I was so happy. It was a beautiful role for him. Yeah. Especially when you get in the throes of his addiction and everything. It was just a great acting thing for him. And then it's another thing. You wanted to see the Sacklers go to Siberia into a gulag for the rest of their lives.
1: Which you don't get quite yeah <laughs> you don't no. really get that satisfaction in the show no. but no. i was okay with it like mm-hmm. i i was i wanted that
0: i didn't get they it busted. and we they didn't took get it their, for life either so they took mm-hmm. their name off buildings yeah. yay they were punished <laughs> all right so we're getting we have the oscars coming this weekend yes. what should people see because i know i like watching the telecast having seen a lot of so that I understand the inside Hollywood jokes. And so what should people see to prepare themselves for the for the Oscar TV show?
1: Part of the dog, in part because it's really easy, <laughs> because it's mm-hmm. right there on Netflix. <laughs> you right?
0: don't have to go to a theater. Um, you know, one of the
1: the bonuses this year is for many of the streaming um, shows that were for nominated, they didn't have to have any kind of theatrical release. They could just go straight.
0: Oh. And
1: that was okay. this year and last year. And it, it, it's a pandemic you know the mm-hmm. uh, it you know inclusion
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: that rule i'm i'm assuming they'll lift it after the the pandemic is considered over but yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um but i would say power of the dog or and um maybe king richard yeah
2: oh you know so good the brilliance of that movie is how did they find these young women who were not only spectacular actors, but great tennis players? They must have called 10,000 people to find those kids. They were unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah. And I, I think,
2: you know, Will Smith is like, he's a favorite to win best
1: actor. Um, wow. And then Jessica Chastain, I don't feel there's been a lot of talk about the eyes of Tammy Faye, but right. that kind of just totally remaking herself, she is unrecognizable mm-hmm. in that role. And I think that's, you know, that's worth watching. And I'm sure there are going to be a lot of jokes. <laughs> and if, if,
2: if you want to realize the brilliance of her performance, you should watch the documentary about yeah. Tammy Faye first and then watch it and see the, the incredible similarities and uh, how they dramatized it. It was great.
1: Right, before Oscar we come... likes anything where there's a transformation and yep. she is mm-hmm.
0: totally transformed. Yes, yep. they like crying and drooling. So, <laughs> if you can bring that, bring it in general. uh What are some shows that people would really love that they can just turn to that page in your book and, and read about? And oh my dive god, into? we divide things up into sections. Um, I will go keep going back to Borgen
1: because mm-hmm. I do love that show so much. Borgen, 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 B O R G E N, Borgen. Um, severance i've really been enjoying that and then um you know like i i this is so hard this is like picking favorite children it's really not fair i really enjoy boys the boys um, which amazon prime which is sort of a revisionist take on superheroes which i just think is delicious and crazy and over the top and fun and um god i ah, and i I want it to be better than it is, but it's such a great concept as Kevin can F himself.
2: <laughs> okay. Um, which Watch this for the title.
1: Is, yeah. Yeah. I think there's asterisks or blanks or something. But why? Such, what is
0: up with Kevin that's so disturbing?
1: It is. a. It's basically it's split in the, into two. It's, you know, part of it is sort of a traditional three camera sitcom with a a beleaguered wife and a wacky husband who's unattractive and she's attractive. And so they play on all those tropes. And then the other side of it, which is also um, a play on sort of the misogyny built into a lot of the true crime genre. And so, so they have it's such a great idea. They haven't delivered it as well as I would have hoped. But I think it's a really fun idea. And I think there are only two seasons of it. So, Your book is out.
2: just awesome. It's so much fun just to leave through it. A, a great coffee table book and I think it'll be a have revelation a big coffee table. <laughs> yeah, that's okay.
0: Well, you may want to have to reinforce it, but it's yeah. it's not actually that big of a book. You just have to move some Time magazines aside and you've got room for it. Yeah. But it's so much fun and your guests are going to come sit down and pick it up and leaf through it and then you'll they'll come up with ideas of reasons they want to come back over and watch something together. So, it is a it's not just a great reference guide. It's a it's a great conversation starter. So, uh, it serves a lot of wonderful purposes and we're just so thrilled that you spent this time with us leanne well thanks for having
1: me thank you
2: so much it was fun really a lot of fun thanks leanne
0: all right take care Bye. -bye. Bye. okay so fritz yes are you ready have you watched all 10 movies in the best picture category
2: at least um i uh no there's one missing is dune in the best picture category Uh, no i haven't seen that
0: so I, the only one I haven't watched is the one called something about an alley. Uh, Nightmare Alley. Nightmare Alley. Yeah, have you watched that? I have. Okay, so what is that about?
2: It, I'm I'm not sure, but the acting is fantastic. Uh, it's just a dark, it's a noir movie. Uh, there's uh, there's no daylight in this movie at all, but it's spectacular performances by uh, the two leads, and uh, uh, I, I, I loved it. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous film, and I think it's a remake of a European movie from the 40s or 50s, and uh, so I, I, I liked it. I, it didn't catch me as one that's likely to garner a lot of uh, awards. Help me with, the what's the lead actor's name? I can't remember his
0: name. I don't know, it's the one I haven't seen. Bradley, Bradley Cooper,
2: Cooper right. and then Kate uh, Blanchett. And they have a great pod to do in the middle of this thing and where they use close-ups on both of their faces and they have a a, a manipulative love entanglement. With, and, but the acting is really good. I think that's the strongest part of the whole film. Plus the lighting and the costumes were good in that movie too.
0: Well, I watched back-to-back this weekend, West Side Story, mm-hmm. which is all singing, all dancing, all knifing. Mm-hmm. And then I went from there to Dune,
2: mm-hmm.
0: more more knifing, like could people please stop stabbing each other? I'm no. trying to eat. You don't
2: have a movie with that kind of stuff.
0: Well, it just it gets to be a lot of a lot of like broy kind of. I, I'm just done with people marching into battle. I'm just done. Uh, people sit down, have a coffee cake, relax. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I liked, I liked, the, I liked Spielberg's – the photography is insane. It's I'll just... tell you
2: something. I, uh, Spielberg's movie uh, was like him saying there is not anything in the history of motion pictures that given an opportunity, I can't make better. And he made this film more contemporary. I loved it because he was more culturally sensitive in the movie. Like in the dialogue, there would be a sentence or two of Spanish, then English, to sort of give you the flavor of the patter. Uh, The acting was wonderful. The singing was wonderful. The staging. uh, uh, And it was violent, but it was gritty. It was street. It was supposed to be. But I I, I thought it was—I really loved it. I thought— I, but, but it's one of my favorite movies of all time, the original version. Um, and I thought how is he, he this is going to be either spectacular or it's going to be a tragedy And it turned out to be a beautiful remake of this movie. I really loved it.
0: And look who's with us
2: it's Joyce Oh no, my God, look at you. I love your bedspread that's beautiful
0: it just like it looks so warm and sunny in this room. I'm going to introduce you properly, if that's OK. One of the most recognizable faces on television, Joyce Boulafont, is best known for her roles in The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Airplane and The Happiest Millionaire. Joyce is also such a delightful personality. She was a regular on the favorite game shows of our childhood, The Match Game, Hollywood Squares, Tattletales, etc., And with Joyce, there was much going on beneath the surface. She was grappling with a lonely childhood, dyslexia, codependency, and through it all, exhibiting a resilient insistence on finding her true north. Her story is beautifully documented in my new favorite book, My Four Hollywood Husbands by Joyce Bougalafont. There is so much to worship in this book. Helen Hayes was your mother-in-law. Lillian Gish was your godmother. And your love story with Roger is all about... Two people who had to first find themselves before they could be happy together. And we would love for you to talk about that with us. Well, thank you.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, I I was grabbed by your book for a number of reasons because alcohol is the overarching theme in my life with parents and grandparents and everything. And I was really moved by your description of some of these scenarios. But also, I grew up 30 miles from your school in New Hope, Pennsylvania. I grew up in a community called Wayne, Pennsylvania, which was southwest of New Hope. Uh But we used to go to the Bucks County Playhouse, which was one of the preeminent summer stock theaters in the United States. And I learned about your Salisbury School. Is it called Salisbury School? Salisbury, yeah. And that's where you met your wonderful. first husband. Anyway, of- I, I I geographically connected to you even before I read your story, so it was fun.
0: One kind of clarification that I would ask is that you wind up at that school because your mother, your stepfather had the kind of money. Because all of a sudden you're you're a you're you're kind of almost an orphan, and then you're at a fancy school going out with James MacArthur. Like,
3: what happened? I know. Well, he wasn't quite my stepfather yet, but he was okay. very much in love with my mother. And I often wondered how I could be taken to sacks and get some school clothes, <laughs> and and suddenly I was in this lovely, wonderful school. My mother had wanted me to go to Miss Hewitt's school for girls, oh,
2: and I didn't find
3: there. out till later that my stepdad, that I called Dad, very lovingly, had really taken care of me for all those years, uh, from the time I was in seventh grade, and he said when I said. You want me to go to a place called Miss Hewitt's School for Girls? Forget about it. I just started to like guys. And, and here was this co-ed boarding school, but we were a mile apart, the girls' campus and the boys' campus, but we had classes together. Mm-hmm. And it was indeed one of the happiest times of my life and really um, was a perfect school for dyslexic me because they had very small classrooms and individual help and at night if i needed help with things i could go to a teacher who was on uh, duty and ask her for help and it was just when we were learning about poetry we we'd sit out of the field of daffodils oh. read longfellow and it was very very good for Dyslexics because it had a um, a multi sense approach to learning, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's what dyslexics need. Plus the individual help that I needed.
2: Mm-hmm. So you discovered your dyslexia at a fairly early age. Weezy and I both know people, Henry Winkler, Jay Leno, who were dyslexic but suffered and had to work their way around it, not understanding what this was that was their problem until they became adults. But you you discovered it at a fairly young age.
3: No, I didn't. I didn't discover it till I was in my 40s. And my youngest son, John Asher, was in a special school for dyslexics. And one day the headmaster, I was working with the children and trying to get them to do theater because I learned to read by doing theater because the words on the page in a play had meaning and you, you, you moved to the words, you, you had business to do. And suddenly just, they weren't just black letters on a white page, they were black letters that had feeling and meaning. And I, whenever I lectured all across the United States for the Dyslexia Foundation one year, and I said, teach dyslexic children theater, because you, you learn really words and, and meaning. You It's a multi-sensory approach. Yes, so I was doing that with the children at Landmark, and the headmaster called me in one day and he said, Joyce, did you have problems in school? And I said, me? <laughs>
2: uh, yes. No, but the, the, the reason I brought that up was you You said that when you were going to that private school that you had a sense that things were different and you struggled in that area. It sounded like you had an awareness of I something. I just being thought wrong. I
3: was stupid. I'm, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, I really did. And that's the problem with children who grow up, who have a different learning style. Mm-hmm. They grow up with this terrible lack of self-esteem.
0: Your whole sense of worth is based so much around your grades. No matter how good you are at other things, it all comes back to your grades. And at yeah. what year did they start to diagnose dyslexia and make oh, sense wow. out of all that?
3: When my son was going through, we're trying to figure out why he had trouble, why he couldn't copy from a blackboard, why he had trouble reading, why he had all these different problems in school, um, They would call it and I started learning more about it. They called it a garbage term. It's a child who's lazy. They're Mm -hmm. not trying. You know, every school, every school, every child goes to school wanting to get a gold star or a smiley face Mm -hmm. or they don't go to school to fail. And when they're in school and they're not doing well, they can't leave and get another job. They're stuck. Yeah. And, and I liked calling it a teaching disability because people didn't understand. <laughs> I love that.
2: Did your dyslexia make it harder for you to memorize dialogue?
3: Not so much memorize dialogue, but spelling was impossible. And you mentioned the match game. Yeah. Uh, and I look like a complete dummy on that because I couldn't spell the words and you had to hold up the sign. And so, like and Bean, to where you draw a picture, anything I could think of that might work, and right. it always seemed a little askew, and that's because I was afraid and embarrassed to hold up something I couldn't spell.
0: Right, right, right. Mm. And talk about when you went to see your dad in Florida after not having seen him for seventeen years, and that was a that was just a beautiful, heartbreaking description of you coming full circle and 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 getting this. Uh, epiphany
3: well it was because i had been divorced twice and i thought oh boy this is awful i was getting some counseling because i was so down on myself and my counselor said i think you should go see your your daddy i differentiate daddy is my biological father Got it. dad was my stepfather Got it. one was a diamond and one was a diamond in the rough mm-hmm. but they were both diamonds mm-hmm. i was very lucky But when I saw my daddy, I asked him, we were drying dishes. He was washing, I was drying. And I said, do you mind telling me what happened? Why you and my mother were divorced? Because I was so young and, and I've been trying to go to therapy and find out, not make the same mistake again. And she thought I needed to know. And I wonder if you would mind telling me. And he said it happened when he was... He was a wonderful craftsman, and he worked in the shipyard in Newport News, Virginia, and built ships during the war. And then he was promoted, and we moved to Jacksonville, and he was in charge of a thousand men, and he couldn't write the reports. He said, and he would go into his supervisor and he said, "Well, let me tell you what happened with this guy." And the... let me tell you, and they say, "Urban, you've got to write it down." And he said, "No, no, I'll, I'll tell you. It's much better if I do." Tell... And they got after him and they said, you're going to lose your job. You've got to write the reports. And he said he started drinking. And he said it made it very hard. on. He said when he was telling me it made it very hard on your poor mommy. And and that's why we got divorced. And I showed him the film I did called Gifts of Greatness. All about Einstein, Edison, Hans Christian Andersen. And I uh, and he said, sitting there watching with his he had three daughters um, and me, and he mm. said, that's my problem. I couldn't read and write. And his family,
2: oh my gosh, what his a family
3: said, what? What are you kidding? What are you talking about? He said, no, I have a terrible time reading. I can't spell. And I had a few letters from him when I was in uh, foster care and but you could see where he's erased and erased and written oh. over oh. The, the words wow. and uh it is something that uh, the the hidden uh, the hidden um Heritage of it. The There's a hereditary heirloom, component. Hidden heirloom. I have
2: hidden a very heirloom, yeah. similar uh, set of circumstances, and I won't make this about me, but I, I I'm just, I'm, it's just resonating with me so much what you're saying and making that discovery. My older son has ha, had, more intensely, but has ADD, right? And we got him diagnosed and went through this whole program, and certain triggers happen in the school where they're given longer to take tests, and they can take tests separately and all those things. And this school where he went had a six-week program for the parents of ADD children to teach you about it and how to react to it as a parent. So I went to the school religiously for six weeks, and at the end of the six-week program, I went up to the teacher and I said, I want to thank you. I learned a little bit about my son but i learned everything about myself <laughs> i just you were you you weren't just describing my son's struggles you were describing me and and uh, it, you you finally put a face on this thing, and it was a revelation to me. Ups. I understand
3: exactly. And, and and
2: and I had to do the same. My my parents misdiagnosed it. They used to say there was no such thing as ADD. When I couldn't learn what I was supposed to, they called it reading comprehension. He has low reading comprehension. They sent me to speed reading classes and all this nonsense that did nothing. But then, you know, years later when it was too late to do me any good, I discovered in my son's class that there's a hereditary component to it. And then of course I went and apologized to my son for giving him A D D. And but we had a better relationship. But
3: you know, it. a lot of that goes hand in hand with dyslexia.
2: Yes, but it's friends, all in the same fringe.
3: My son would sit I would go to the class and watch him sometime, and he'd do like this mm-hmm. with the pencil. And and looking oh, yeah. around oh, and yeah. I thought, oh boy, he's not getting this at all. But he was you know just to explain it if you're driving the car and you get sleepy what do you do you tap on the steering wheel you roll the windows down you do Mm -hmm. anything to keep yourself awake that's what a lot of add children are doing that's how they pay attention they need Mm -hmm. that movement Mm
0: -hmm.
3: It's hard yeah well, it's uh, for me. I, I'll
0: probably also ADD, but for me, you know, you we recall daydreamers. We would think about things that were more interesting than this arithmetic, you know, because my I had a big imagination. So there was always something I could be thinking about that wasn't yeah. that. So maybe that kind of stimulation you know, keeps you in the moment, you know, where you are. And I get that. Exactly. Um, Anyway,
2: it was a a hereditary component to yours. And it probably was a great release for you, knowing that there was a biological reason why you had this.
3: Absolutely. It's, you know, um, it's just so important. And so many adults have grown up with parents saying, you know, they're big CEO people and and very successful people. And they're saying, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get it, you know? Uh, I had trouble in school, but I got. But they don't realize they had a special tutor. They now have a secretary. I mean, <laughs> st- Stephen word. Cannell, a prolific writer, mm-hmm. his secretary said, "You know, it'd be easier in, if he just fell over the keys instead of trying to." <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that maybe that was the original reason for dictation,
0: and you know, a lot of these guys that, that were big wigs had someone that would type it up for them. Exactly. So uh, dyslexics master the art of the workaround. And you were masterful at employing the workaround in all aspects of your life. Your book tells of much smiling and remodeling, which are wonderful, but they don't get to the root of the problem. And that is what you needed to figure out. And you did that in in a lot of different ways. You know, you were determined to figure out to figure this this thing out called happiness. So talk about that a little bit and and the revelations and your daughter helped you by for, first going to Betty Ford for
3: being just a family member of an alcoholic, correct? Yes, that was, well my daughter Mary, she was I just give her so much credit. You know the, the alcoholism how it affects children uh, is the thing that Upsets me the most as a mother who married alcoholics and brought that Mm. to my children. And being codependent feeds into the disease of alcoholism. And I learned so much. Mary went to Betty Ford Family Week on her own with her own money when she was 20 years old. And she would call me and she'd say, Mom, I think I'm helping the parents with the who have children here. I think I'm being helpful. And I said, That's great, honey. Every night she'd call and report what she'd learned, what she was doing. And the last night she called and she said, Mom, you know what I've learned? I've learned that I am a good person. Oh, no. oh my oh, God. Lord. I was just my heart just broke. I said, Don't do that way. I can't hug you. <laughs> but that's the problem. Having an alcoholic father who belittles you and says, what's wrong with you? Why are you acting stupid? Why are you they? Well, all that, It that hurt doesn't go away. No. And and for me as a person, that's the hardest, hardest thing in my life is that I have three children who had fathers who were alcoholics and, and the hurt they will carry with them all their life.
2: But the one thing... Uh- not in your favor, but the one thing that sort of helps one to understand the situation you find yourself in is, back when your first two husbands, James and So Roger,
3: embarrassing. No, please <laughs> don't.
2: You know what? People are going to take so much away from this. There's so much interesting information in your book about people that have exactly the same circumstance. I think that's the value of your book. I really do. It's really, really wonderful. You were so honest about that, and I think there's a lot to be learned. And I have alcohol uh, alcoholism throughout my family, but the the uh the the thing that was missing from your life at those early stages was al-anon al-anon wasn't even a thing back then which is a 12-step program for the family and peripheral people in the lives of an alcoholic that helped them and it's so invaluable and that's where you learn you're codependent that's when you learn what you bring to the equation so you exactly. didn't have the benefit of that back in the 50s and 60s yes exactly
3: and uh, And you didn't talk about, you didn't talk about, you didn't dare. I -hmm. wouldn't, I remember when Jimmy and I got divorced, um, I went to this attorney way downtown in Los Angeles, a little guy who didn't charge much. And I wasn't, and Jimmy was not being very nice about the whole thing. And uh, different magazines, fan magazines, and Time magazine even, they wanted an interview. And I said to the lawyer, you don't say anything. I was still protecting Jimmy right up to Mm -hmm. the end, Mm -hmm. you know, which maybe would have helped him to say, wait a minute. You know, this is what happened. Uh, But I wanted to always protect and take care of and nurture. My problem was my ego said, if I love an alcoholic and I take care of them, Mm. they're going to be just fine. They just need my love. That's <laughs> right. But
2: the flip side of what you're saying is and I found one of the most moving things in the book and it was something I practiced in my own divorce. Uh, was that you never say anything negative about the other parent because it will come back to haunt you and you protected the children that way. And I think it it, I, it, it took until my sons and I got divorced when they were three and one until they were 18 when they finally came to me and said, we appreciate uh, that you protecting us from your ill feelings about mom. And we understand. And it was a great release for me.
3: You're absolutely right. I would say that's the most important thing uh, for parents uh, to not talk ill of the other parent. Mm-hmm. And, and luckily, my children, they're all wonderful, healthy, have wonderful lives. And I, they've struggled with, with everything and with their mother. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they, they've just come out on the other side. They've brought All on their own into their life, wonderful children, and they're terrific. I'm very blessed in that way because I sure um, have looked at other families who've had the same circumstances, and the children just can't make it. Well, I think that you can give yourself a lot of credit there.
0: First of all, if if we're just going to be, you know, big picture about this, if you hadn't been with those men, you would not have those exact children and you know this. Second of all, I, I think the, one of my kind of takeaways from your book was that it's possible that toxic masculinity is uh, passed down from father to son. And it could be that, you know, Helen wasn't able to protect Jimmy from his father the way you were able to temper and buffer your children from from jimmy what are your thoughts about that
3: well i um that's a good point it was very hard because jimmy and i had been sweethearts since we were 16 and i uh, his mom and i were just she was like my mother she was i called her mom and she would sometimes When she'd introduce me, she'd say, this is my daughter, Mary um, Joyce, because she had (laughs) lost a daughter, Mary, uh, when she was 19. And uh, our relationship was all through the book. I think you can tell it's um, very up and down and very loving and very um, meaningful. Um, I I do a play called Remembering Helen Hayes with Love. Mm -hmm. And I uh, I, I loved her very much. Um, but it was tumultuous, and I forgot your question. <laughs> I'm I just sorry. wondering. I'm just wondering if, if let's say, Charles MacArthur, Jimmy's
0: father, w- was calling him, you know, a, a little fairy or an idiot or no, stupid. No, not that.
3: No, he was very close to his father. So you don't think he picked
0: up? How, what made Jimmy? Jimmy? What made him so mean? You, you talk about how, but well, even first before of all, alcohol,
3: Jimmy was adopted. Okay, and that always, I think, plays into a little bit of of a problem of lack of self-worth. And then he had a sister. um, He and uh, Charlie and um, and Helen had a daughter, Mary MacArthur, who died at 19, and he was very close to her. And um, I I think that I don't know, maybe having a very famous mother um, and just not feeling worthy of maybe being in that family. He didn't ever want to know anything about his biological family. He liked being the son of Helen Hayes and Charles MacArthur. Now, his role model, and some people think that Charles MacArthur was his biological father, Mm -hmm. which could be, which means Helen did an incredible thing taking another woman's baby with her husband and raising it, if that's true. We don't know the truth, Um, but Charlie was a womanizer and Charlie was an alcoholic. And I think that I did not realize this until I was doing the play, Remembering Helen Hayes. And I was also working on my book. And the editor of my book, I I got to the part where Helen says, I don't think you should marry Jimmy. He's not good enough for you. And I said to the editor, I, I had such a hard time writing that. And I thought it was maybe why Jimmy was the way he was, because he didn't feel loved. And I I remember saying that day to Helen, but if, if I love him and you love him, he's going to be fine. He'll be fine. I know he's done some things that aren't, you shouldn't do and by drinking and things when he was young, but if I love him and you love him he's going to be fine. And I realized uh, all through our engagement period and everything she would say these really cutting things to me about Jimmy. Does that mean what, that she
0: pro- that, that she probably said them to him when you weren't present?
2: I don't I don't know. But um yeah, where did that come from? Was she trying to protect you? That's what I think and
3: I didn't get it. Until I was talking to the editor, we were so close. I think I really felt she loved me and that she was trying to protect me from having the same life that she had with Charlie, whom she loved very much. Right. But maybe
0: she wasn't there enough to protect Jimmy from Charlie if he was drunk in the same type of way that Jimmy was but drunk. Like he she would, he one
3: was- night got furious when yeah. Jimmy was drinking. I never saw her anyone get that angry it frightened me and Lillian Gishy was her really good friend Mm -hmm. she said oh darling don't worry about her when she's like that and she has a temper like that it's just the Irish in her
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. let let me ask you a question about your mother-in-law Helen Hayes Uh, I mean she was not only your mother-in-law but she was also one of the most iconic figures in the Uh, career that you had chosen for yourself. So that was a hell of a amount of pressure on you. First of all, all mothers-in-law of sons are judgmental from the get-go, but was she judgmental of your career or was she supportive of your career?
3: She was very, uh, well, she was supportive when I was, uh, she only gave me one note ever, one acting (laughs) note. And that was when I was doing my graduation play at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I was playing, I was in the hat full of rain. I was playing very serious person and before they'd always cast me in comedies. And her only remark, and I'll never forget it because it has to do with life. She said, whatever you're doing, no matter how serious it is or how serious a person you're playing, Don't forget the funny bone. And Mm -hmm. I think that was going to be the name of my book at the beginning. It -hmm. had many titles. It certainly didn't have my four Hollywood husbands. That took (laughs) a whole nother turn. um, She was very supportive until I was married and had two children. And I called her on my birthday and I said, Mom, you're not going to believe what just happened. But I just got the lead in a Broadway play. And there was a mm. long pause. And she said, how dare you? And it was like somebody sacked me in the stomach. I said, what? What do you mean? And she said, how dare you go out and leave your children and Jimmy? That's and I,
0: kind of what made have- me feel like it, was, it mm-hmm. was that she wasn't home enough that That she kind of was worried about that that's what happened
3: to Jimmy was that she could have done more I don't know I just I think that's exactly what it was she just she just saw me falling into the pattern of her life Mm -hmm. that had made her unhappy the parts of it I mean she dearly loved Charlie oh boy she was crazy who wouldn't he was wonderful guy and fun Mm -hmm. and everything and and Jimmy was the same way but she was very protective of me but it didn't come out like that it came out mean like it came out
0: like yeah. it was scolding
2: oh yes yeah that was so the t- irish in her. <laughs> <laughs> okay so you're talking about patterns let's look at the pattern of marrying three alcoholics in a row and as you reflect back and you've done a lot of work on yourself emotional and psychological work on yourself uh do you see the selection of these husbands as a subconscious way to sort of revisit something from earlier in your life your re- your relationship with your dad or something like well, that
3: Well that's guess? a very interesting question. Um I just I loved all of them um uh, but I knew that I couldn't have a life with them uh, because it wasn't healthy but that mm-hmm. took a lot of learning uh I, I don't know. That's a good question. I wondered that. And um, and I don't ever remember seeing my father, my daddy drunk. Um, and I, I don't know. He was very sensitive. He had a voice, a singing voice like Bing Crosby. He used to what? sing to me as a, a little girl. I remember him taking me out and walking and singing. And I just thought he was so there's something about the alcoholics that I did marry the very sensitive mm-hmm. creative
2: they're like an open wound uh, mm-hmm. my older son yeah. struggles with addiction he's yeah. the most sensitive person in the world he's almost too sensitive for the planet
3: exactly. and
2: so he would anesthetize himself so to not have these feelings
3: and, and i thought think- i could
0: be the nur- n- nursemaid sure again. sure mm-hmm. because in in so many areas of your life you are you know you, you are a maker and a doer and a healer you're all these wonderful things but I'm wondering if you think that alcoholics have a knack for
3: identifying codependence when they're seeking oh, a partner. Oh, I'm sure they do. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. say there's one. <laughs> you know, yeah. I always thought if I went into a room with a thousand people and one alcoholic, I just come <laughs> on them just like that.
2: Yeah, because you're oh, the path one, of least resistance, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: and a lot of my girlfriends have drinking problems. Or, or had, interest. or yeah. asked and a And your, your father
2: uh, was not, uh, even if he did have a drinking problem, and you said you discovered that later, having reunited with him after 17 years, and he told you the story. But uh, but um, he, he wasn't verbally and psychologically abusive like James was, your first who, who
3: husband. Was was like, who was he? Daddy. Your, your dad. Daddy. Oh, he, no. No, no. No.
2: And, and you said a very interesting quote in your book about uh, about this type of abuse. You said... Verbal abuse is so different because you can't see the scars, but they never go away.
3: Exactly. And I can see it in my my children. I can see them trying, trying so hard to to be Charlie, to be the hero, uh, Mary, to be the nurse and and John, my youngest, to be the clown. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, and they, I, I w- I'm always telling them how proud I am. I'm like, I could cry, um, that they've overcome so much, mm-hmm. so much. My daughter to me today was talking about somebody she was worried about. And she said, I know mom, just like you say, every soul has its own journey. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I wish I had, um, been the one to come up with that but it was a Tibetan book of living and dying that kind of helps me with the bad things that happen to people or things they have to go through that every soul does have its own journey
0: within that can you talk a little bit about your love story with Roger because it, it, oh, it did feel love like you my both, love story with Roger. it's it's, <laughs> it's so beautiful and, and and it's it's just such a, a gift of learning about when when we're ready for each other, and uh, and you both did a ton of work to become ready for each other.
3: Talk about yes, that it's work. true, and I, that's nice of you to recognize that. Um, well, we we did a pilot together in 1962. By the way. When Roger was alive, he'd say Joyce takes two hours to tell this story. I can tell it in fifteen minutes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that sounds like ninety percent. Uh, you the have to bear with me. I promise yeah. not to bore you with two hours. Um, and it's, it is that love story is all through the book. Yes, but it we is. did meet in 1962. We did a pilot together. I was unhappily married. He was getting separated. There was never a word spoken about the attraction. But boy, it was thick. It was in the air. I was afraid to go to work. I thought, oh boy, is he going to see this written all over me that I just think he's the most wonderful person? And then one day I said, I know what it is. I'm absolutely crazy. He's in the in this pilot we're doing. He's playing this young, wonderful, caring husband. It, it's I don't even know the man. Get over it, Joyce. And then the producers would have us in and they'd say, oh the chemistry between the two of you. And I want to say, be quiet, don't say that. (laughs) And then I went away afterwards and I thought, what am I going to do if the show sells? This will be, how am I going to deal with that? (laughs) It didn't. And I was sad, but I was with Jimmy. And one day we were uh, both under contract at Universal and he was doing a show called Arrest and Trial and I was doing one called it was a Tom Dick and Mary, and our trailers were right uh, the stages were right next to each other, and we'd always make excuses to go back and forth, and it was always I think oh he's coming to see me and he'd say <laughs> hi Joyce I have a friend who's doing the show this week I go oh, okay. <laughs> and then I'd make an excuse to go over to his set hi Joyce and say hi you know the copy is so much better on your set, <laughs> but nothing. You know, just this thing. And then one day he knocked on my trailer and he said, "Um, I have something to tell you. And I thought, he's going to tell me that he loves me. I should leave Jimmy and we're going to run off and get married and everything's going to be great. And he said, congratulate me. I'm having a baby. It's like, what? (laughs) I mean, and to this... we said often, I kept saying, what made you come and tell me that? He said, I felt I had to tell you. Mm-hmm. And he'd gone back with his wife and had a baby. So what did I do? I went off to England with Jimmy who was doing the Bedford incident. I thought, well, Roger can have a baby. I can have a baby. So, so I had Mary. So mm-hmm. I, that was all wonderful. But finally... When things were so bad in my marriage with Jimmy and we were divorced, uh, Roger and I dated for a year. And we had so much fun. We went camping with the children. We, it was just wonderful until he wanted to move in with me and have a baby and not be married. And it was, I was very square about those things. And I said, I, I, no way. And it got a little testy between us. And so he said, one night we went out to dinner, opened the car door across from me and said uh, goodbye forever. Wow. And I thought, well, I guess I pushed him. I was kept saying, what are you gonna do with your career, all this? And, wow. and then I was very, very sad. And he thought he'd come back six months later and I would be fine and we'd be together forever. But instead I married one of his best
2: friends. Mm-hmm. I
3: don't that me. served him right.
2: <laughs> there, there's another thing, and I, I, I love to see the smile break out on your face when you're talking about the great love of your life, Roger. But I do want to reflect because, again, as I mentioned before, I think there's so much to learn from your experiences and what people will take away from this book. Another time when I really felt your pain and your um, horror was when you, you had joint custody of uh charlie and mary with jim and then he would be working on hawaii 50 in hawaii or whatever he was working on there and you had to relinquish your children mm-hmm. sending them back to this man who had been verbally and physically abusive and wondering if your kids were going to be safe but there was nothing you could do about it because you had joint custody so i just felt so much for you in that moment having to wave goodbye to him on the plane as they're well, taking off it was terrible house. my mother
3: ended up moving over there <laughs> And um, getting an apartment <laughs> yeah. where she could look right into Jimmy.
2: That's fantastic. He, exactly. for your
3: mom. he came yeah. out one morning. Ah, and then, Hi, Jimmy.
2: Oh, that's <laughs> down, great.
3: Down came the vines.
2: But you and know what? Her- she didn't have to say anything more because that just said, I'm over here. Don't mess up.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was,
2: anyway. it, helped,
3: it helped me. Mm-hmm. I'd always go over while they were there to visit. Mm -hmm. and it it was oh i hated it
2: was charlie ever to reestablish a good relationship with his father i know he had a break where he ran away from home over there because his dad was being abusive to him and to his new
3: they loved their father very much as they should and um you talk about my letting the children go and joint custody because i didn't have a father in my life my father i thought it was very important that the children did Mm-hmm. and I just tried to protect them every way I could when they were with them. Right. I had the mm-hmm. same housekeeper go with them, so they had some sense of continuity.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, oh, shoot. There I go again. I forgot the question.
2: No, it's okay. You made a good point. Just,
0: you, you did answer the question, yeah. but I, I, th- I think that. we need to talk a little bit about the Mary Tyler Moore show and mm-hmm. what it was like on the set for you. What was the mood like on the set? Because everybody just wants to have been there with you. <laughs>
3: That's nice. I wish they all could have been. Yeah. Um, It was it was incredible because, first of all, I have to give credit to the writers. The writers were just wonderful. You go in for a table reading um, on Monday and everybody be laughing. It'd be wonderful script. And everybody say, oh, wow, this is great. And you come back the next day. It was even better. They Mm -hmm. never stopped right up till shooting day. On rewriting, polishing, making it perfect, and the characters, Valerie, the first time I was on the show, she said, "If you need any help with your lines, I'm here to help you." And uh, they all became they they all became the characters on the show almost, especially mm. Ted Knight became Ted Baxter. <laughs> he was so funny because I was doing the Bill Cosby show, and I was doing another show. I was starring in called love thy neighbor so i couldn't always be there to be marie when they mm-hmm. wrote it in so i think that's maybe why they had georgette come on as ted's oh. wife because i i couldn't they didn't have that dynamic but when i did come i mean <laughs> they would all be a little bit more who they portrayed and and wow, uh said to me one day choice they got to they redecorated my dressing room. Would you like to see it? <laughs> oh
2: no, <laughs>
0: it's that's
1: yet. a trap.
3: <laughs> Let me know. ask you
2: something. You brought up the fact that you were on the Cosby Show. It wasn't the one, the most recent one. You were in the 69 to 71 Cosby Show. But I have to ask this because it's a contemporary topic and it's controversial. Did you ever notice any of the behavioral traits that we're discussing about Bill Cosby now, including how you might have been victimized yourself?
3: I, no, I wasn't. He was a perfect gentleman with me. Um, he, I, I, he invited me up to his room to have lunch one day because his cook used to come in and make lunch for him right there. And uh, who was there? Quincy Jones wow. and Samia Davis Jr., Oh and they'll call me the token white, <laughs> but I have heard um, I have heard stories from other women who um, I would believe, and uh, you know I wasn't there. I luckily he was very much a gentleman with me. Well, watching you guys on the game shows when
0: I was a kid was sort of my peek into grown-up cocktail chatter. And I didn't get all of the innuendos, but I felt the energy of it all. You, you described some uncomfortable moments, and how body did it get?
3: Oh, um, only funny body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, during dinner, I would not let my children. I, I used to, it was shot on Sunday, so I would try to alternate children who came with me <laughs> so that I would have individual time with them. But during dinner time, they had their own dinner in my dressing room okay <laughs> um it was just fun it wasn't uh anything i think it's been made to be more salacious or that there was drinking and other i never saw that i just it seems like there's a there's a whole culture of, of people who are obsessed with
0: these game shows from the 70s and there's there's channels that show them uh-huh. and so they i'll see on twitter they'll freeze frame it and they'll you know they'll it's just something that, that people have been able to now celebrate now that all, all of this content is is available because it really captured an era. Yes.
2: Plus, you were with one of the single funniest human beings on the planet, Charles Nelson Reilly. He didn't <laughs> even have to say anything, and he made me laugh. Oh, I Lordy. just loved, He was the world's uh, best I, talk I, show I, guest.
3: You know, Betty White said, whenever I tell a naughty joke, it sounds like a nursery rhyme. So <laughs> I take advantage of that, I'm afraid. Anything well, you got, to make people laugh.
0: <laughs> but you got some great lines in, and that's why they loved you because it was disarming, right?
3: Well, you know the thing is about that show, no one wrote for us like on okay. Hollywood Squares. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was all ad lib, and that's what made it so good. You know, the uh, yeah. mm-hmm. people were very quick witted who were on the show, and um, I, it, it was that part was lots of fun to do. Mm-hmm. Lots of times I got beeped you got beeped that's an Perfect.
0: honor so talk about dancing with fred astaire
3: <gasps> oh gosh right between talking about roger and fred astaire that's pretty good pretty that's good awesome. life. yeah <laughs> yeah well i i thought when i got the call i was doing a perry mason and i got a call from my agent he said how'd you like to do a show with fred astaire i said yeah ron what's up what do you want <laughs> he said, "How would you like to do a?" Show? I said, "Rom, cut it off. I've, I've got to get back to the set. What's going on? Said, you don't want to do a show with Fred Astaire?" I said, "Are you kidding me? Fred, are you kidding me?" And he mm-hmm. said, "No, I'm absolutely serious." I said, but my mother used to take me to all the RKO movies in New York City, and we'd look all over for Top Hat and all of the things he did, and Jane Powell, Ginger Rogers, Rita Hayworth, and now it's going to be Joyce Bolupon in front (laughs) of You know, I had envisioned uh, his lifting me in a beautiful chiffon dress in a beautiful (laughs) marble crystal ballroom, and you know what it was? To do the Mm. twist. Yep. (laughs) And he didn't know how to do it. And right before we were going to shoot it, he said, Miss Bullifong, come here, come here. I said, please, Mr. Stair, please call me Joyce. Anyway, Miss Bullifong, you have to show me how to do the twist. I don't know how to do it. I said, (laughs) Mr. Stair, you want me to teach you a dance? He said, yes, and do it quick because we're going to shoot it in the next scene. (laughs) He was a fast learner. (laughs) Yeah. He was true Oh that's so cool.
2: you have another brush with greatness that was kind of a pivotal moment in your life. Talk about your encounter with Walt Disney.
3: Oh yeah. with Walt Disney? Yes. Well, I was doing a musical, The Happiest Millionaire and I had a big dance member and I had to sing and I was very nervous because I was going over the recording studio to, to record the song. And lo and behold, mr disney comes down the pathway from his office and he put his arm around me and he said um that's my phone ringing can you oh that's right sorry 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 i forgot to turn it off um he said uh, i said i'm i'm really nervous you know i'm i'm an actress who sings i'm not a singer who acts and he said don't worry put his arm around me he said I have big plans for you, little lady. And then he died. (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: very nice. That's all right, but for that one brief shining moment, what a compliment.
3: His plan wasn't in his will?
2: (laughs) I found out what
3: the plan was. He wanted Leslie and Warren and me to be guides at Disneyland. And John Davidson and Tommy Steele would be our boyfriends. Wouldn't that have been fun? Am I too old to do that now? No, no, of I course. Would, I would not. apply for that immediately. No, you're so kind. <laughs> mm-hmm. that would be
0: adorable. I would love that. Well, we just want to thank you uh, so much for for being with us. But, you know, before you go, I just want to ask this question. Do, uh, what does a codependent learn in rehab? And, and like encourage people who find themselves attracted to people with with substance abuse issues like what is what is it that you can stand to gain and learn? from going into a program or an Al-Anon type of a program to learn more about your own behavior and your own couple bit, or your own contribution to the, the toxicity.
3: Well, I think the most important thing is that you are not helping the alcoholic by enabling them. You are actually enabling the disease. And um, mm-hmm. and your codependency is another type of disease. Also, something very important I learned is mm-hmm. that as the alcoholic needs to drink more and more in order to get the buzz, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. one drink doesn't do it. Uh, OK, two. OK, no, that's still I'm not getting that. OK, three, whatever it is. Uh, you, the, the codependent person gets sick right along with the alcoholic mm-hmm. person. I mean i had migraine headaches i had mono i even got typhoid fever i think your your immune system becomes so low uh from you know, dealing with everything that goes along with living with an alcoholic and the the thing you learn in Al-Anon is to love with detachment detach mm-hmm. with love
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> and and, and there, it's the, the,
3: not an easy path but it's as much a struggle, I think, for the codependent as it is for the alcoholic.
2: That's why Al-Anon a 12-step program, too. I it's mean, you wonderful. have to recover yourself. Yeah, uh, There's so many <laughs> wonderful takeaways in your book. I, I mean, the uh, tenacity in show business and uh, how to be a good parent when your partner isn't with you. And, uh, you know, you're, you're navigating the alcoholic uh, husband. It's all... So much to be learned from, but I think the most uh, significant takeaway is a phrase you mentioned at the end of the book called, happiness is a choice.
3: Oh, yes. It really is. And that's just something everybody can learn from. Haven't we heard all of our life, you make your own happiness? Mm -hmm. We hear that. I, you know, we hear it. But until I had one pivotal moment um, when I was married to Bill Asher and I was at the top of the stairs. It was a Sunday. It was a beautiful day. He was at the bottom. And he said something, and it didn't seem as if it was nice, the way he said it and what he was saying. And at that moment, I I thought, you know, I can take that and really be unhappy all day about what he said, the way he said it. Or I can choose to not take it that way and think maybe he got off the phone with somebody he's upset maybe one of the children did something he's upset i'm not gonna be unhappy today i'm gonna be happy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, i realized at that moment oh boy you you can make your own happiness you mm-hmm. can do it
0: yeah that's profound
3: yeah. Well, well it was
2: a wonderful discussion, Joyce. We just appreciate you so much.
0: Joyce's book is called My Four Hollywood Husbands by Joyce Boulifant I, I found it on Amazon. It's on audio oh. too, now And it's oh yes, um, you just did the audio book. So yeah. there's so many different ways to enjoy it. And I, I'm just a huge fan of this book. It's just it's got everything. It's got it all and it's all in there and it's
3: beautiful. You're embarrassing written. me. I love you. No, people. I really mean it. I really, really mean it. I just oh, love thank
0: you. you. That's
3: why it was written, to try to
0: help other people. You know what? You had a lot to say, and you said it perfectly. Thank you. Thank you. Fritz is going to help people uh, help us.
2: Please listen to uh, our podcast, this one especially, special for many reasons. But our whole library is on our website at mediapathpodcast.com. Uh, we're back 88, 89 episodes, and there's something in there for everybody. And people love our podcast. And I'm very happy to be able to read to you a great review. This comes from Humming seahorse who knew that seahorse i don't hum? think that's his real name well i don't know this podcast flows like butter great perspectives and guests good positive vibes with fascinating stories six stars in well, a that's field that's great
3: five i didn't know there was such thing as six stars yeah i get they drew but one it just in. went up to five i don't know if that's <laughs> legal <laughs>
0: All right. We would love for you to join us online on Instagram and Twitter where we are at media Path Pod, and on Facebook where our show page is MediapathPodcast and our Facebook group is Mediapath with Fritz and Weezy Podcast Community. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, MediapathPodcast. We would love to know what media you have been enjoying so you can contact us at our social media or email us at podcast at gmail.com. We want to thank our guests Leanne Bonin and Joyce Boulefont. Our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesco Demanda, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Phil Filipiak, Thomas Hubble, Mason Brown, and, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Maddox. I am Louise Palenker here with Fritz Coleman, and we will see you along the media path.